All right. I want you to open your Bible with me this morning to Mark chapter 9. And I want to read what I would consider one of the most tragic stories in the New Testament, at least, maybe in the entire Bible, but it's, I think it's a tragic story, and I'll show you why in just a moment. Uh, let's put it in context. Uh, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with his three disciples, and um, a, a man came to him for help, and this is where we're going to take the story up in verse 14 of, of Mark chapter 9. And when he came back to the disciples, he saw a large, this is when Jesus came back to the disciples, he saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? I've often wondered what they were discussing. Maybe they were discussing, does God still heal? Because that seems to be the context of the passage if you look at the next verse. And one of the crowd answered him, said, Teacher, I brought my son, possessed by a spirit, and it made him mute. Now, some commentaries and some preachers will try to tell you this young man had epilepsy. Well, epilepsy is a disease that's controllable. This was not epilepsy. The Bible makes it very clear that he was possessed by a demon. And look what he goes on to say. Teacher, I brought, him, I brought my son, possessed with a spirit, which made him mute. By the way, it's always mute, never dumb. I grew up hearing the term deaf and dumb. That is a bad thing to say. They're a deaf mute. They're not deaf and dumb. And whenever it seized him, now this is again another reason why it's not epilepsy, it's a spirit, is whenever it seized him, it slammed him into the ground and he foamed at the mouth and ground his teeth and stiffened out. I told your disciples to cast him out and they could not do it. And he answered and said to them, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him, and he saw him, and immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling into the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has, it been, has this happened to him? And he said, From childhood. I don't think that Jesus asked that question for information. I think he knew, but he wanted to emphasize the tragedy of the situation. Here was a, perhaps a child, a teenager, pre-teenager, but who had been possessed by this demon since he was a young child. And has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, make, have pity upon us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things were possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Hell, my unbelief. Then Jesus saw the crowd was rapidly gathering, and he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit. See, you don't talk to demons. You command them. You order them. And so he said, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him. and Do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, 
why could not we cast this demon out? And he said to them, this kind cometh out, but by, uh, only by prayer. And many manuscripts add the word fasting, and prayer and fasting go together, so we'll add it also and say, uh, and he said unto them, this kind cannot come out by anything except by prayer and by fasting. I said a moment ago, this is a tragic story, and it is a tragic story. Luke tells us he was an only son, which intensifies the tragedy. Think of that, having one child, one son, and he's demon-possessed. Has been from childhood. And the symptoms of this demon possession are all physical. To look at the young man, you would think he's some type of a lunatic. In fact, that's what Matthew calls him. Matthew called him a lunatic. He was a source of heartache and sorrow to his parents. They nor anyone else could do anything for him. He, he just seemed to be at the mercy of this demon that was bent on his destruction. And all they could do was just stand back and watch the boy suffer needlessly and hopelessly. Now, it doesn't take a sanctified imagination to realize where this father was coming from. I believe, it's, I believe it happened something like this. I believe the father came home one day and said to his wife, he said, honey, I heard about a man today by the name of Jesus. And they say he's a very compassionate man, a very powerful man. They say he even has the power to heal people. Maybe he's the long-awaited Messiah that we've been waiting for. So here's what I'm going to do. In the morning when, I, when, when we get up, I'm going to take our son and I'm going to find Jesus. And I'm going to ask him to have pity on our son and help our son. So the next morning they got up and I believe they had breakfast and the wife perhaps fixed them a little sack lunch and off they went looking for Jesus. And so they would stop this group and say, have you seen the man called Jesus? And no, we haven't seen him. And finally, somebody said, yeah, we, we saw him this morning. He was down at the bottom of that mountain with his, with his disciples. And so he goes down there and he asks for Jesus. And the disciples say, well, he's not here. Remember, he's still up on the mountain. And I believe the father said something like this. Well, you're, you're his disciples. You, you represent him. Do something for my son. Help me with my son. Cast this demon out of my son. And the Bible says they tried to cast the demon out of the boy, but they couldn't do it. I said a moment ago, this was a tragic story. It's a tragic story, but the tragedy is not the boy. The tragedy is, the, the tragedy is that the disciples couldn't do anything about it. And there's a great deal of tragedy in our society today. When I turn on the news and look what's going on in Ukraine, and when I, I see a mass shooting going on, it almost seems like every time you turn. The most violent show on television today is the world news. It just seems like the devil has just pulled out the stops. And the world today is accelerating in its own sinfulness. But the tragedy of our world is not a godless world acting godless. It is a church acting powerless. The tragedy is the salt has lost its savor. The light has lost its illumination. And those of us that God has called to bear, to bear light and to be a preservative are standing back with our arms folded and our heads bowed saying, we don't know what to do either. And this pragmatic world that we live in is looking at the church and saying, do you have any answers? Can you do anything to make our society a safer place to live? 
And I'm concerned that verse 18, when he said, when, when he said uh, that he, they couldn't cast him out, I think that's the world's indictment against the church today. That is the world's indictment against the church. I have a fear that one day I'll stand before the judgment of God to give an account of my ministry, and someone's going to approach that bench and say, point his finger at me and say, God, when I was on earth, I took my, deli- I took my drug, my son who was hooked on drugs, I took him to this man's church, and they talked about buildings, and they talked about budgets, and they talked about campaigns, but they were powerless to do anything about my son. You know, the, the ministry of Jesus was never meant to be a fading memory, but an ongoing memory, but an ongoing work. Listen to the way Acts begins. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, All that Jesus began to do and to teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. The work of Jesus is not over. But instead of doing that, we're declaring it doesn't happen anymore. Now, I can only speak for myself. I'm a graduate from a Baptist college, and I'm proud of my degree. But I was taught in that school the age of miracles has ceased. I was taught that most of the spiritual gifts have been taken away from the church. They died with the apostles. I was taught that in a Baptist college. And so instead of performing miracles, we're explaining them away. I think there's just, in my opinion, our lives are either supernaturally natural. Our lives should be supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural. Did I say it right? I'm still jet lag. Our life should be naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural, right? Our life is either supernatural or superficial. You can't tell me that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us, and yet we have no power. We should have power, and we should be able to do the work that Jesus is doing. You know, this is what I wanted to say to my professor when he told us that this age of miracles is dead. I said, wait a minute. Now, you're telling me that God's taken away half of our spiritual gifts, that the age of miracles is dead, but he left the devil fully armed. That's not a fair fight. That's not a fair fight. We're going to get whipped if God has truly taken away half of our gifts and left the devil fully armed. So the father brings his son to Jesus. Look at verse 22. He says, if you can do anything, help my son. Now, Jesus put the question back to him. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. He said, my doing is not depending upon me. My doing is depending upon your believing. See, the difficulty today in seeing miracles is not with God. God is still a miracle-working God. The problem with seeing miracles today is our unbelief. But notice the father seemed to cast a doubt about Jesus. You know, before he was so anxious to find Jesus and get to Jesus and get help from his son. But then look at verse, he says, but here he says, if you can do anything, help my son. If is an expression of doubt. All at once he begins to doubt whether Jesus can really help his son or not. Now, why do you suppose he suddenly did that? Because he had just witnessed the powerlessness of Jesus' disciples Why do you suppose people today doubt the power of God today? Because they see so little of it. And we, those of us who call ourselves disciples. When Jesus was on this earth, he was the truth about the Father. 
You could go to him and say, show us a father and it will satisfy us. And he told the truth about the father. But some of us who are Christians are not telling the truth about Jesus. Our whining is saying Jesus doesn't care. Our lack of power is saying that Jesus doesn't have any power. And because of that, people are turning to other denominations and not denominations, but they're turning to cults. They're turning to, uh, to, to find express, the answers to life. And I told you this a few weeks ago, the fastest growing religion in America today is no longer Christianity, it's Islam. People are turning to those things. But at least he answered their question. They said, what's wrong? And the Bible says in verse 28, look at verse 28. It says they came to Jesus privately, not publicly. They came to him privately and asked the question, what's wrong? I wonder why they came privately. I think they were embarrassed. I think the church today ought to be embarrassed at our lack of power. They were embarrassed at their lack of power because Jesus had already given them that power. Go back a few chapters and you'll see that. Jesus had given them that power. But you see today, the church just seems to be, in my opinion, uh, content to go on without any power. As long as we make budget and we have more people join the church and lose the church in a, in a good year, we, we consider that a good year. But we, we forget what we're here to do. What were, what were Jesus' disciples put on this planet to do? To advance the kingdom of God. Three times he told the disciples, he said, you go heal the sick. You go cast out demons. And in one place, he even said, raise the dead. You know, in my opinion, I used to say it Highland all the time, in my very humble but accurate opinion, people ought to be lined up out there, door of that church to get in here and let them be prayed for to be healed. The doctor says there's no hope. We can't help you, but we have the help. Jesus has given us that authority. We don't, we don't know it. We don't practice it, but I believe he's given us that authority. But ne next, notice Jesus' reaction. You'd think Jesus would say, they couldn't cast out the demon, so you'd say, oh, that's okay. You know, maybe next time. Not what he said. He said, you faithless generation, how long do I have to put up with you? You faithless generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Why was he so harsh? This meek, mental Jesus that went around very meek and mild, and yet he came down on them pretty hard, didn't he? I believe this is why he was hard on them. Have you ever noticed in the Scripture that places, and there's many of them, but I'll share three of them with you today, where Jesus levels a severe penalty against unused power? For example, the vine in the branches. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, any vine, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, too bad. No, he said, it's taken off the vine. It's thrown in the fire. It's useless. Unused power. What about the story about the man who planted a, a tree, a fruit tree, right in the middle of a choice place in the vineyard? And he came back when it was time for the, the tree to bear fruit, and there was no fruit. He said, rip it out, take it out of the vineyard, and throw it away. It's useless. Unused power. 
What about the, what about the story of the talents? Man went off, he left his uh, business, whatever that was, to his servants. He gave one five talents, he gave one two, he gave one one. To the one that gave, was given the five talents, what did he do? He, took, he went out and made five more. When Jesus, when the man who represents Jesus in the story said, well done, you good and faithful servant, uh, take it and you know, bless him. To the one who had two, what did he do? He said he took the same thing. He said, blessed you. He said, you, you've been faithful. You've taken what I've given you. And you multiplied it. But to the one who was given one, and let's face it, most of us in this church are one-talent Christians. We're not five-talent Christians. We're, most of us are one-talent Christians. He didn't lose it. He didn't abuse it. He just didn't use it. And Jesus said, you wicked, slothful servant, take it away from him and give it to somebody that will use it. What would we consider wicked today? Remember, we were doing a January Bible study one time in the church I was pastoring, and a, a drunk came in. He had a pint of whiskey stuffed right down in here. I thought it was a gun. I thought, oh, we're going to be on CNN in the morning. How many of us is he going to shoot? But he was quiet at first. But, I mean, I, I saw him come and tried to stop him. He shoved me aside. He went down, sat on the second row, and here was this big thing bulging right out of here. And it turned out to be a pint of whiskey and not a gun, thankfully. So we called the police, and uh, uh, there were windows in the door back there. And so when he looked, he, he was quiet, calm, until he saw the police looking through that door. And then he stood up and started cursing. I mean, using it filthy for, for profanities. And it took four police officers to get that man out of the church. You know what we'd say about a man like that? You're a wicked person. But would Jesus come into our church, look some of us in the face and say, I gave you spiritual gifts. I anointed you with the Holy Spirit. I gave you talents, and you have not used them. You are a wicked servant. But at least he answered their question. And here's what he said. He said, this kind cometh forth but my nothing but by prayer and by fasting. And the reason for that is because the power that was needed is a spiritual power. This boy was possessed by a demon. There's not a surgeon in the world that could have helped him. There's not a doctor in the world that could have helped him unless he was a spirit-filled Christian who knew who he was in Christ and understood spiritual authority. So... I don't know. I, I've been doing this for 50 years, and I'm pretty well convinced the church today does not understand spiritual authority. We do not understand the authority that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us are afraid of demons. If we know who we are in Christ, let me tell you something, they'll be afraid of us because they know that we have authority over them in the name of Jesus. So Paul said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. He said the, 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 the battles that we fight, they're not physical, they're spiritual. They're pulling down strongholds. And what is a stronghold? 
Young people, it's a hole that's strong. That's what it is. But he said, we have the power to pull down those strongholds, cast down those vain imaginations, and take captive those people who have been held by, by the Lord. Uh, so it's a spiritual power. You know, and I'm not being critical, because I are one, as they say. You know, Baptists think we need more influence, so we send lobbyists to Washington. Did you know that? We send lobbyists to Washington to lobby for us. Well, the New Testament church didn't have any lobbyists. They didn't get the other cities. Anybody know anybody down at City Hall? Anybody can use their influence to get Paul and Silas out of jail? Anybody know anybody down there that can have any influence to help get them out of jail? They didn't have any influence, but they started praying and they had power. And pretty soon those jail doors that had Paul and Silas in prison were opened and they came out. It's the spiritual power that we need. You read the third chapter of uh, the book of Acts. Peter and John were going to church one day, and there was a beggar out there. And he was asking for money. And so when they walked by him, they, he did, the beggar did what he did, I guess every day, he asked him for money. You remember, do you remember what Peter said to him? He said, gold and silver have I none, but such as I have. He recognized that he had something as a believer. What was it that he had? He had the power to cast out demons. He had the power to heal. And so he said, gold and silver have I none, but such as I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And the Bible says the man jumped up, leaping, and went into the church and worshiped with him. It's a spiritual power the church needs today. Secondly, not only is it a spiritual power, but it's a secret power. You don't get this power in seminary. I went to seminary. I didn't get it. I heard about it. You didn't get this power. You don't get this power in church. You'll hear about it in church. But you don't necessarily get it in church. But let me look at the word fasting for a moment. Lord, why could we not cast them out? Because this kind of miracle can only come through prayer and fasting. I can almost anticipate what Peter would say. But Lord, it's too late to fast. If you'd have told me yesterday I was going to be casting a demon out of a person today, wow, man, I'd have got ready. I'd have prayed and I'd have fasted and I'd have been ready. And Jesus said that's precisely the point. The person that is going to do victory for me against the devil is going to meet the devil with a life that has already been saturated by prayer and communion way before the need ever arises. That's the kind of person that God's going to use. Listen to what Jesus said. I mean, part of it, sometimes we treat prayer kind of like it's a fast food, don't we? We get to a crisis, Lord, help me till I get to the next crisis. No. Jesus said, when you pray, enter into the closet and close your door. And your Father who hears you in secret will reward you publicly. In other words, the public life of a Christian stands or falls on his private life with God. 
How much power of God do you want in public? Jesus said you'd have to seek it in private. When I moved to Waco, what, 30-something years ago, I guess now, I bought a home, and a man that had that home had a green thumb. He had all kinds, he gardened stuff, he had fruit trees and all that stuff. I killed all of it. I mean, I killed all of it. I didn't mean to, but I did. But I remember right side of my house, there was a plum tree. If I could have walked out to that plum tree and said, plum tree, where do you get the power to produce that luscious, juicy plum? If the plum tree could speak, here's what it would say. The power that you see comes from what you don't see. It's my roots that are reaching down into the soil and drawing nourishment. That's where the power comes from. Again, let me repeat. The public life of a Christian stands or falls on their private life with God. If you want God's power in your life in public, Jesus said you seek it in private. So I want to close before we take communion by asking you a question. I'm not saying it, I'm not asking it to put condemnation on you, but to get you to think. How much time do you spend each day with God in private? You say, well, preacher, I, I don't have much time. You have time to watch TV? Yeah. You may not have time to fish and hunt? Yeah. Why is that? Because we take time to do the things that we want to do, but we have to make time for the things that we have to do. And until we see prayer and communion with God as the pearl of great price, we're not going to sell the other pearls to have it. What would it take to bring revival to this church? I mean revival. I've been in churches when you walk in the door of the church, the power of God so strong almost knocks you down. What would it take to bring revival? See people walking these aisles every Sunday morning, giving their hearts to Jesus, seeing marriages restored, seeing sick people healed. What would it take to bring revival to this church? Here's the answer. This kind cometh forth by nothing except by prayer and by fasting.